This is a Stand Up New York Labs production, providing you podcasts since 2013. So this is recorded after the podcast, but we're about to go into Sherrod and I just, Sherrod Small and I just talking. Sherrod's a comic who's been on the podcast before, and here we go. It's what we do, baby! This is Race Wars. Race Wars. I have the power! Yeah! On the field! With Kurt Metzger. You're out of your fucking mind, dude. And Sherrod Small. Settle down, bitch. Race Wars. They got news together. Every town they went to, they got got the motherfuckers together. I mean, the generals who they play. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they, that's why they destroyed them so easily. Ah, uh, they beat the hell out of them. Yeah. They pulled their pants down. <laughs> they throw fake water on. Throw real water on. I watch. I was going to the Harlem Globetrotters every time they came to the garden. My mother took us. Really? Every time. No question. We was there. And did you ever try to emulate their moves? Like oh, they yeah. had all these like fun moves. Every time you slid on the floor and dribble while you sliding. Yeah. I once, um, I once was gonna go to a basketball camp run by Michael Jordan. What's that one in Las Vegas that he did? Oh, like in, the, yeah, and um, for like grown people. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, at the time I was thirty, and you had to, it, I got to Las Vegas, so I took basketball lessons for like six weeks. Wow. Lessons from who? Who was teaching you? Some guy in Chelsea Piers, like okay. some small guy in Chelsea Piers. But his the main thing I had to learn was how to dribble without looking at the ball. <laughs> that was the main thing I had to learn. And so I go to Las Vegas, uh, and everyone's there. Like Mark Cuban's there, uh, of course Michael Jordan. All these like famous people were there at this camp. Yeah, at this camp in Las Vegas, and I couldn't. And Billy Bano was helping me. You know Billy Bano? Yeah, so he used to invest in all my companies I was starting. And, um, but you had to be 40. That was a cutoff day, and I was only 30. Oh, you had to be 40 in the league? Yeah, I had to be 40 years old. Okay. So I had to just watch. And then I figured, fuck it, I just played no, poker. Now you gotta go back. That's gotta be well, now I'd have to relearn how to dribble without looking at the ball. <laughs> you didn't remember that? <laughs> it's like so, riding a bike. Yeah, but I didn't really know it that well then. That's the problem. And then you jump up and down with the ball as you bounced it. I was like dribbling, and then you'd have to like jump and like get it in the hoop. <laughs> Even to hear you explain basketball was brutal. I, the, I, it's the whitest explanation of learning basketball possible. What a mercy! It was a bunch of rich dudes in this tournament. Who, who, how yeah, much yeah, did it cost to get in? It was it was twenty thousand dollars to charity. And okay. it's like Michael Jordan's charity, so who knows? Right. And uh, and then at night, you know, they were all play- like, I would see Michael Jordan playing roulette like all night, and uh, he was just having fun. Yeah. But he- and then you would play one. You could play one. The whole reason I wanted to do it is I just wanted the experience. At the end of the camp, you played one on one with Michael Jordan. And it sounds like you know, like uh, <laughs> like you're uh, what do you call it? Um, the kids they fucking uh, the kids they give uh, uh, gifts to. Make a wish. It sounds yes. like a grown person's make a wish. It was it was like, like Jordan, a make a wish thing. And you at the in the end we're like, Thank you, Mr. Jordan, and you take a picture with him. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Hey kid, here's a jersey. It hit you in the face. <laughs> but you know, you know, you've never heard of like these fantasy teams? So yes, I definitely heard of them. But I knew that's why I knew it was a lot of money. At grown men trying to live on to their fantasies, hanging around with Michael Jordan. Yeah. He don't want to be bothered with it, but he's trying to save save some kid with cancer, so <laughs> it'll make y'all pay twenty grand. Yeah. While he plays roulette upstairs. <laughs> it looked like fun, but then I was like, ah, I don't I, And everybody was really good. Like, all the other guys They were, were taking really it good. serious, right? Yeah, yeah. I know it. Like, uh... Like Jesse Isler. 
or like Mark Cuban's like a good basketball oh, yeah, player. Yeah. Oh, he uh, was playing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tucker, didn't Tucker do it? Oh, Carson? Uh, no, no, Tucker Max. No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, not, not in. This was two thousand. This is two thousand one. He wasn't on the scene then. Wow. Two thousand one. Yeah. Like before nine eleven. Uh, this yeah. This sounds like the first Ground Zero. <laughs> yeah, it was right before nine eleven, and I remember I was in the process of. Go, you've been recording this, right? So I've been in the pro I was in the process of going broke for the first time. I didn't want to tell anyone. So I was getting all set to fly everybody out like on a private jet. And then I convinced everybody, oh, no, let's just like fly, fly first class there because I was like going dead broke. <laughs> right. And then uh, and then when I found out you had to be 40, I was like, phew, because I didn't have to write that check for $20,000. I like how flying, flying first class is you going dead broke. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was. I'm on a fucking Peter Pan brush when I'm dead broke. I, I feel I, like that's no private I plane. was in the process. Like, I was in the. It was still. It was go, the slope was down, but I wasn't yet dead broke. Okay. So that, that occurred about a year later. Like, total dead broke. Did some of the 9 uh, 11 take some of the sting off of it? Because it distracted no, no. people's attention away no, from the pockets? 9 11 made it much worse because I'll tell you why. Two reasons. One is I was living one block away or two blocks away from the World Trade Center. Wow. So I was I had breakfast at Dean and DeLuca on the first floor of the World Trade Center that morning. Uh, my business partner and I were walking up Church Street. A plane was coming in, and Dan, my partner, he turns to me and says, um, is the president coming in today? Like, what is like the is that Air Force One? And then boom, like the plane goes right over our heads and like into the building. So we actually saw the plane crash into the building. The first plane. Yeah, the first plane. And it was and so close. That's why he thought it was the president. Like, yeah, because it was low. Like it was right. like you never see a plane right. just five hundred feet above above you. Right. And so everybody like ducked on the street, and we all watched the. You know, everybody watched on TV, and you saw it over and over. We actually saw the plane crash into the building. And you go into like shock after that. Yeah. And so I said, oh, it was just an accident. And nobody was in the, I literally was thinking nobody was in the plane and nobody was in the building because it was too early, even though it was 8.45 a.m. Right. And I thought the plane was somehow remote controlled into the building. And there was, and no, it was too early for anyone to be in the building. So I was like, don't worry, don't worry. I was like, I'm always an optimist. I was calming everyone down. And damn, my partner was like, no, US is under attack. So then we were so stupid. We take the elevator up in my building, which, the electricity could have we're only one block away the electricity right. could have been turned off and we would have been stuck for for weeks and uh, uh and then we went down again we went up and we went down and uh the second plane we were watching the second plane came in but we couldn't see the plane we just saw it because it came in the other side we just right. saw the explosion right and i said and and dan was like i see we're definitely under attack and i'm like no no that was just a, a an explosion still from the first plane and then we go back to my place and on the TV, the Pentagon's attacked, and Dan said, "See," and I'm like, "Okay, okay, we're probably <laughs> finally under convinced attack. you." That. Yeah. <laughs> and then the buildings came down, and so I went up on the roof. We had the, we had the penthouse, and uh, I went up on the roof, and uh, suddenly everything is shaking, like the whole, everything is shaking. And so I went back. This was a block away from. Yeah, two blocks. And away. you went all the way up in the penthouse, a block away from the World Trade Center. Yeah. What's up with you? <laughs> What's, what's, well, what's wrong with well you, so then the entire Trade Center fall, falls down, and we're completely surrounded by the black cloud. And, uh, like, everybody's yelling. And well, the, your building shaking while yeah, that building yeah, was falling? Yeah, everything was shaking. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and so, so just to fin finish off, so then I was stupid. I thought, okay, the markets crashed the, on a week later. The mar I came back 
The markets were you couldn't get into my area. The FBI was I blocked off the whole area, so I was staying in a hotel, and the markets all crashed like huge. Uh, and so I figured this is perfect. The markets are crashing. I'm gonna just load up. Right. So I loaded up. The markets kept crashing. I loaded up Tuesday. Markets kept crashing. Wednesday, lo- markets kept crashing. Thursday, markets kept crashing. Friday, I remember it was like 10:20. I'm like, holy! I have like negative a million dollars. I'm gonna like be dead if I don't get out of this. Right. So I pull out of the market completely, and within I'm not even kidding. Within two minutes. The market went straight up for the uh, next three months. Oh, uh, like I would have made millions and recovered, and instead I was at that point I was dead broke a week after 9/11. Oh, uh, so what? You panicked? That's why you took the money out? Yeah, yeah, I panicked. Ah, uh, because also I played too big. Go like now. I'm, this was a long time ago, so now I'd be much smarter. You never invest too big. I was used. I was borrowing money. I was doing everything because I thought I, I was too greedy. You can't. You can't. If you're an investor, you can't be greedy. You, you have to think about loss first. Don't lose money is the only rule of investing. If you don't lose money and you invest money, you're going to make money. But I was thinking, oh, man, I'm going to make so much now because the market's going to come all the way back. The market did come all the way back two minutes after I got ah! out. So it killed me. And oh. then I was just – I was so depressed that literally, like, the fir- first aid was, like, going from building to building, making, seeing if anybody needs Like, the fir- first aid had to spend time with me. Like, I was just That's how depressed you were. They thought it yeah. was for 9-11, but it's because you didn't invest. Yeah, it's because, <laughs> I, like, it's because I, like, went broke. It's like, <laughs> and, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't really recover for, like, a long time. Like, just mentally. I, maybe I still haven't recovered from that. Like, it scarred you. Yeah, it's that. Because I went to a, I went to a therapist slash astrologer. My wife's astrologer, and uh, my wife at the time's astrologer, the current wife here, and uh, uh, she told me it's like you. I don't know if I agree with this, but she said losing that kind of money, like losing all of your money after having that and buying, you know, I had to give up the house, I had to give up everything. Uh. Um, she said it's like lose. You feel probably like losing. You lost a person, and. I think it was worse, actually. Yeah. Like, I could handle, I've lost people in my life, and it's really sad, and, it, you know, but you personally losing your ability to pay for your kids and your family and, and your house, and, like, we literally, we're probably the only people ever who had to move out of Manhattan because we were downsizing. Like, we moved to a smaller, like, a place one-third the size or one-fifth the size 70 miles away, and it took us a year to sell. So I stopped paying the mortgage because uh, I couldn't afford it, right. and and I had to, I had a tiny bit left, and in order to just pay for food, I had to make a hundred percent on my money a month. So then I learned started to learn how to invest because like the gun was to my head. Right. I had to make a, a in order to survive, I had to make a hundred percent a month, and so I did in two thousand two, which was like the worst market year in history at that time, and so uh, it was like it was like trial by fire. But what did you change that year that you didn't do before? Uh. Two things. One is instead of me making decisions, I wrote software. To I basically wrote software that analyzed 70 years of stock market data, like every single stock and every single minute of stock market data. And and my software, I trained it to find patterns that worked over and over and over again. And then I had it. I I also programmed it to trade automatically. So I I would never even. 
I had so much PTSD over this, not over 9-11, but over losing all my money after 9-11. I couldn't even touch the keyboard so to, to make a trade. So the software would trade automatically without right. my input. It would buy and sell based on the patterns it would find since 1946 on all these stocks. So that worked. And, and that worked. That worked. So like, for Son instance, of a bitch. yeah, like for instance, I'll, like one time, um, I think it was might have been Enron. Uh, uh, I went to lunch. Enron declared bankruptcy while I was at lunch. And I think it was Enron. And then I, I still was at lunch. I had, took a long lunch. And uh, uh, I had a system that realized whenever a company declares bankruptcy, the stocks, everybody knows the stocks were zero, but for some reason, at that time, the stock goes up 200% almost within an hour. Like, for some weird reason. No, nobody knows why. Right. And so, Enron declared bankruptcy, stock dropped, my system bought it, and then it went up, like, 300%. I come back from lunch, and I had made, uh, like, 300%. And so, and but, it, like, I had, like, f uh, hundreds of patterns that the software recognized, like, that that just worked. And wow. it worked then. It doesn't doesn't really work as much now. Some things work now, but not as well. Why is it different now? Because uh, back then, the market was crazy. Like, it go up and down like huge because every day everyone was like is that a new there was a big noise was that a terrorist attack like we're <laughs> yeah. going to war with another country like right. what we just toppled the saddam hussein statue like it, like the market was going just crazy all the time so you can take advantage of that now the market's like really sort of like oh trump tweeted it just goes just moves a little up a little and down bit, yeah yeah so it's uh, you have to, it's not as exciting the stock market. So do we need more chaos to make? Yeah, the we stock need more. Market? Do you always make like someone like me makes more money the more chaos there is. Right. At that now before 9/11, I thought that was the case and I lost everything trying to take advantage of the chaos. I, oh, so the second thing I did differently is I play much smaller. So I used to bet a hundred percent of my money on every trade. All in. All in. And that now I would do, or maybe 500%, sorry, not 100%, 500%. Now I would do like maybe 10%. So I played, um, or 3%, depending. If I was buying stocks, 3%. If I was buying the whole market, I would buy 10%. So, so I played much smaller. So I would just take little nickels and dimes out of the market every day instead of trying to make a huge home run. Because right. I just needed to make like, I had, literally had to pay for diapers. Right, is it so, as fulfilling, doing it that way? Hmm? Doing it small? Like, yeah, doing it small is always, but you always make more money the smaller you play, which is Is another. it like small ball when you play baseball and you try to round the bases instead of knocking the ball, knocking the ball out over the fence every time? Yeah. It, or, it's more like base hits. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just trying to make singles. That's, that's right. exactly how I would refer to it. So, like, before I was always trying for home runs because, I don't know, that's how I was used to it in 1999. Right. It was home runs all the time. Uh, but then I would just try to hit, every day I would try to hit a single. Like, essentially I would try to make one to two thousand dollars a day right. and i would do it like i there was one time i had like maybe 150 straight days in a row where i made money and uh uh it was just solid like singles 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 yeah that's and, unbelievable and then uh i can't even think when i lost when i started losing money it was like years later i started not that i was losing it's just i was like breaking even the systems weren't working as well because the right. market calmed down a lot right so do you see the market going back up like that being that chaotic. If we go to war with like Korea or something? North uh, Korea? I don't see it till after the next election. After the next election, I would say for me, I should be all in as much cash as possible to get ready for the next. Well, so big after twenty twenty. But like I think 
for better or for worse, I think Trump will artificially keep it calm between now and 2020. And you see, I've seen at least three different things he's done that have artificially kept the market kept calm. it calm when it should be a little bit more chaotic. Like, like what? Okay, so so not that I don't know if this is interesting or not, but he um, he put a lot of personal pressure on the head of the Federal Reserve. So that's the guy who decides how much interest rates you pay at the bank. Roughly, I'm being very rough right. about it. It's not Greenspan it, now. It's no, like, no, it's this guy. I don't even Jerome Powell or whatever. Powell. And um, he basically Powell. kind of uh, in, implied the guy would lose his job. So the guy's like, okay, we're not gonna do anything for the next year or so. Right. He literally just announced it last week. We're not right. doing anything for the rest of the year. When before he said, oh, you know, I can't be. You can't he, predict it. Legally, he's not allowed to be influenced by the president. But, like, the president is not allowed by law to influence this guy. But Trump was, like, tweeting, this guy's, you know. He knows how to get around it. Yeah. He's a slick son of a bitch. Right. So, so that was thing number one, which is good for the market. Like, yeah. So that's, like, can't, you can't complain about that. But and then number two was he... He's basically said to all big corporations, hey, you guys have $200 billion in American dollars sitting in other countries. Like McDonald's, they have all the cash. In, uh, in all, they have McDonald's in every country, so they have all this cash there. Right. But McDonald's is based here. And, and they, but they don't want to take the money back because they'll get taxed. Here. So Trump was like, hey, we forgive you. Take all the money back. We're not going to tax you that much. Don't worry. So he made a law. Not to not, you know, it's called tax repatriation. And over the next year, there's various ways companies can take money back without it being penalized. Right. So that's going to be ultimately trillions of dollars of effect on the economy. And so that could create inflation and problems a couple of years from now. But before that happens, we're all going to feel like, oh, my gosh. This is amazing. Right. We're going to have the, it's like a, it's like, it's like cocaine. So you're going to feel like, oh my God, I'm a genius. I'm the most amazing person in the world. And then you crash. But <laughs> first we haven't experienced the complete uh, high. And then the third thing he did was remember uh, the banks were lending too much money in 2008. So everybody borrowed money, bought houses and then went broke. Yeah. And then Obama regulated all that. So banks can't lend as much money. So Trump very quietly is like, ah, you know, maybe a couple thousand banks should be allowed to lend more money. <laughs> so he deregulated all the small banks. And so all the small banks that you don't really know about, and there's thousands of them, yeah. they're allowed to lend trillions of dollars where they weren't allowed to lend a year ago. And so that's going to be a big boost uh, to the economy. Yeah. So those three things alone, and he's, he's good, good as gold till, 20, till the election. And then after the election... All hell breaks loose. All hell. And that's even if he gets reelected or not? Yeah, even if he gets reelected. Why you say? Because you can't predict. You, no one can predict well, with, that much, gonna... with that much trillions of dollars flowing oh, into no. the economy. Yeah. The economy will feel so great. And then people will start borrowing again. Like, oh, everyone will and feel like a genius. Debt. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, they'll borrow money. Like, oh, no, I'm going to make more next year. Because they don't realize that it's inflation that's happening. And they'll feel like superpowers instead of realizing <laughs> that it's inflation and then there's no more money coming into the economy it already came in and like oh wait what happened it all fell apart and then everyone will panic and that will create a recession and a crash yeah and that's when it's time to buy that's when it's time to buy but you have to you can't do it right away you kind of have to like wait it out until wait it's really yeah down at the bottom yeah but it's hard to predict the bottom you have to kind of that's why you play small and you feel it out and you, for me, I had to use software because I had no psycho. I was psychologically not able to do it, and I would get 
Because it's too much pressure on your brain trying to. It's too much pressure. I don't like it. I wouldn't like it at all. <laughs> no, it's not fun. I wouldn't. I don't. I don't like to do that. I like to invest in things that have nothing to do with the economy. So, like for instance, marijuana stocks have nothing to do with the economy. Right. If they're going to get legal. It's going, to, it's going to be like Starbucks. It's going to go from one state to another to another. It's going to be recreational. There's going to be people creating all sorts of businesses. That has nothing to do with the economy. So if you find the right companies that you that are good, though, that will go up eventually. Esports. We know esports is small now, but every kid in the world loves it, so it's just going to get bigger and yeah. bigger. Gambling is going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah. So that has nothing to do with the economy. It's just going to get bigger and bigger. What about like gambling and esports? Is that even a combo yet? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, like a... $14 billion industry right now. Are they now, doing so. this in uh, out of Vegas? Vegas and I think New Jersey. And oh, I Jersey's think Ireland and Cayman Islands and all over the place. Wow, because I've seen them selling out these arenas all around the world. Yeah. They're just playing video games. I'm like, somebody's got to be betting on this too. Yeah, huge There's a lot betting. of action. Huge betting. I think the betting is Is this kids bigger. betting? No, no. Uh, it's like hardcore because you could um, – you could do the same thing. You write software to see what kids are good and what games and in what type, what arenas and you know against what lineups, and then you could use statistics to to make your bets. And so so there are sophisticated like guys like and women yeah. betting on all this stuff. Now who's writing this software for like uh, NFL and uh, like Major League Baseball games? And is that illegal? No, no, that's huge huge business. Yeah, people are. I know I know a guy. We had him on the podcast actually. There's a guy. He literally, he's not using it for gambling yet. I don't think he will. But he's got a Super Bowl ring because a year, he, he's from Philadelphia. Uh -huh. So I don't know football. Uh, I guess a year ago. They the, won. What's the name? The Eagles? Yeah, the Eagles. So, <laughs> so, so the, Eagles, yes. the Eagles won the Super Bowl and they gave him a ring. Because Why? what he did was he did Sick the it. same thing that I described about the stock market. He analyzed all, you know, with the fo with football, they can see how much pressure is against your shoulders and your head. You know, they have all these sensors. Right. So he analyzes every player's data plus all their sensor data, going back, you know, as much year as many years as he can. And so what he'll do is, given that he knows the defense lines data and the offensive lines data, he'll tell he told the coach every play three possible plays to do, and that were statistically likely to win. And they just the, the coach then would pick one of the three plays, right? And they won the Super Bowl, <laughs> and like he would do odd things, like his software would say, third down, take the quarterback out, replace with this quarterback, which is an unusual thing. Like right. normally you don't do that. So he would do all sorts of unusual things that they wouldn't expect, but the coach followed, and they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> what the? F I had had no idea. I yeah. had no idea that. And was so this year, what team did he say he was working for? Miami Dolphins. Dolphins this year coming up. Oh, last no, no, year no, they were terrible. No, not last year. Okay. This, this coming this year. year. But this coming year, he just started working for the Dolphins. Yeah, that's so. Wait, what's this dude's name? Uh, Eddie Ibanez. He was on the podcast. I and how long he's been doing this uh, with the just, NFL? He, he, just, he was a fan of the Eagles, so he offered to do it for them. And they're like, okay, come on over. And he, he did it. He just did it for fun. He didn't get paid or anything. Now the Dolphins, I think, is paying him. But for the Eagles, he just did it for free, and they, they, they gave him a ring. That's crazy. It's crazy. I know, but, but I but, didn't know they were studying like the sensors on the uniforms and a yeah, the hits he, and a what what he analyzed was was which team was more tired. So he could tell like if you're if you're five foot eight and two hundred pounds and the guy against you is six foot two and five hundred pounds and he bashed against you right. and he'd see all the data, he'd see which team was more tired and and then he would call plays accordingly 
given that the, this team is tired versus this team, what plays usually work in that scenario? Right. And right. Uh, so he had a whole way of measure, measuring who was more tired than who and how fast does this quarterback get tired and, and so on. He had to flood oh, so much information into this yeah. thing. Because, like, to your point, Steve, a lot yeah. of sports have data, but, like, in baseball, all you really – the only real important piece of data is – getting on base. Yeah. So that's why walks are just as important as hits. So so when they introduce data, people realize, oh, a guy who is good at w getting walks is a valuable player. Nobody realized that before. Yeah. But with well, it's on base percentage, yeah. Yeah, but with football, it's there's too much data. There's so much data. It's right. crazy. So he had a special way of analyzing this data. And it worked. And it worked. That's unbelievable. Won a Super Bowl. Was the Eagles a good team? I don't know. Yeah, they were a good team. Yeah. Really yeah. good team. But did you expect them to win the Super Bowl? No. I mean, they, they had competition. They were like one of the four teams I thought could win it. But everybody's always expecting New England to do it every year. Yeah. And yeah. They beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Yeah, they beat the Patriots. Wow, this dude is going to be really popular. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. He's, he's a super smart guy. So. Wow. That's shocking to me. Yeah. So that's why, uh, you know, data is, you know, this is a simple way where data is getting more powerful than humans. Right, because it's kind of like the Oakland A's at that whole. Uh... Yeah, that's the, so. That's where it started with like, and Michael Lewis wrote about that in Moneyball. Right, and there was the movie Jonah Hill, Brad Pitt, but baseball just a lot easier than than football. Football thought was too so many, hard. I have so many different things in football that you got to keep up with. Yeah, yeah, but baseball is just the diamond and getting on base. Yeah, just that's getting, it. Who can get on base faster, better? That's it. Yeah. Wow. And you can look at little things like who gets on base versus what pitchers. But there's not that much else. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. Why is this dude not working for, like, the Giants or the Jets? Uh, uh, well, the Eagles, he was a fan of. Yeah. Okay. So he just did it for free. He grew up in Philadelphia. And the Dolphins, are, are he knew the owner. And the owner, like, I think paid him. It's so is him. this the future, you think, of all sports? All yeah. football? Oh, yeah. All sports. So every team's going to have a dude like this? Yeah. Wow. Eventually. He's he's a cut above everybody else right now, but eventually all sports will every every team and every sport will have this. So that's why in esports will have this as well. What's the name of his uh, company? He's just doing it for fun. What? It's, yeah, he's just it's just him. How did he even get access to the Eagles? To well, he's got a special background, which was revealed in another podcast anonymously, which I don't think I can mention his name in that podcast. Okay, so that's, he's got. He's got a particular background. Like, uh, like, what, spy or government or? He's got a particular background. Like CIA? <laughs> he's got a particular yeah, background. Yeah, he out here doing the, uh, dirty work. <laughs> he's, he's, he's very smart. Let's just put it that way. Imagine, yeah. like, imagine like Professor X, but in real life. He's like NSA. He out here doing stuff. He's, he affected he, things. He affected things. Wow. He's very effective. He's a smart dude. What school he goes? Do you know what school he went to? I don't think he went to college. What the fuck is this? What? Yeah, I think he um he got in trouble for for breaking and entering with computers in the 90s in high school and he almost got arrested by the FBI and they gave him a job. It's like a, a movie. Yeah, literally a a general intervened and was like we can use a guy like you. Like a general, 20 uh, years or a general intervened and and yelled at the FBI <coughs> and said you should not. You should be paying him, not arresting him. And so, ain't that the best thing you could ever hear when you about to get arrested? <laughs> we shouldn't arrest this dude. Give him a couple of dollars and get him out of here. Well, it's kind of like that uh, "Catch Me If You Can" guy, Frank Av Avignale. Yeah. He uh, 
he he now works for the FBI, right? He he, he went to jail and now he works for the FBI uh, finding counterfeiters. Yeah, because he was so good at it. That's yeah. the thing. Don't commit crimes unless you're the best at it. Or right. Because even if you get caught, they'll be like this. Teach us what you know. Or like, isn't Kevin Mitnick? Yeah, hacker. Kevin Mitnick does. He do, he was like a hacker. I don't I know if he he turns his uh, evil into good. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Flip the. We should make like there should be uh like a Justice League of America of all evil guys who now do good. Yes. Yeah, I like that. See. But that's kind of like Suicide Squad. Oh uh, yeah, see, see, we could make a TV a reality show out of this or a TV show. Yeah, but you gotta be. I guess he wrote his own. Did he write the whole program when he got arrested? That's when he. Uh, well, he he. He finished high school. What was he breaking into? Banks? Um, I guess it's sort of revealing the pockets, but AOL, he got all the credit card numbers of every employee, of every one who had signed up for AOL. This is in the 90s. Right. And he returned it to them, and he said, look, you have, he, was, he had good intentions. He said, you, look, you had a flaw. I got all the credit cards. Here they are. And then they, they like, tried to arrest him for that. And then the FBI visited the next day. Ah, and, and the general was right. He was, like, trying to help out. Yeah. And, and, and he was going to school at the New York Military Academy, which incidentally is where Trump went to high school, and the general who ran it intervened. Oh. So this they, was in the 90s? Yeah. And he's still working for? Well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing stuff for the Dolphins. That's, this dude is a smart dude. Yeah, he's very smart. Like secret smart. James. Like he knows secret things. I think yes. you tell Sherrod only if we're allowed to kill him. <laughs> Maybe he's not allowed to take money. Uh, no, he's definitely made... I mean, he's done very well now. Right. So he's... He, he's so broke. that's why he did the thing for Philly for free? And yeah, Because yeah. he liked the team. Yeah. He just wanted... He loved the Eagles, so he wanted them to win the Super Bowl. So he made them win the Super Bowl. <laughs> that's crazy to me. So where else does he apply this, this fucking... Where else does this apply to, this math, this programming? Everything, everything. Like if you, here's the thing, and we've we've kind of gone over this on the on, like we've had a bunch of people on the podcast talk about this. Google and Facebook, between the two of them, they know, they you cannot even believe what they know about you. They know how many strawberries a month you eat, right. and they can and they know where you are right now, and they just know everything. And so you can take that information. I'll tell you another thing he did. He, I think he revealed this in the first podcast. You remember the guy who was in D.C. who was just randomly shooting people on the highway? Yes, the black, uh, the serial killer Malvo. dude. Yeah, did, yeah he re- did he reveal, did, did he tell this story? Malvo. Did he tell the story on the, po- on the first podcast? Oh, maybe I can't tell the story. What happened? What? I don't remember. Did he figure out who was the shooter? He calculated bullets and said, it's a nigga in a trunk. <laughs> Brown calls a nigga in a trunk with a rifle. <laughs> Basically, he developed some software to kind of like uh, figure things out. <laughs> really? Yeah. And that was a while ago. Now everything's much more sophisticated. How do you figure out? I don't. I'm, that's what confuses me. How do you figure out what did he. he who was, the shooter was? Yeah, because, you know. Or what, profiled like. Yeah, but what happens is. So here's the thing. The shooter. Then this happens in every crime. Usually people don't carry their cell phone around when they're a criminal. Right. They get burner phones. But he would build so but you he you can't track someone with burner phones, but what he did was he would build the tree. Oh, this guy calls these two, who calls these four, who calls these six. So he'd he'd 
So no matter what burner phone you had, your tree was the same. It was same. the same. So you always knew so who they were calling. Right. So you'd find the tree that matched who you suspected was in the area, and then you would start narrowing down. Smart. Yeah. Smart. So you wrote all that software. I don't know if I was allowed to say that. Maybe he, he's going to cancel dinner on me on Friday. So, so uh, I don't track the phone. It just tracks the phone's activities. It's like it shows where, who the phone's been in contact with, and then yeah. you follow that, and you see the same amount of numbers going here and there. Right. And, yeah, and you need, you can't just know who they're call, calling. Because I could be calling you, but I'm calling, let's say I'm calling you about comedy. Right. But if I was calling you about, hey, Shrod, let's kill somebody, you might call a different set of people after right. that. <laughs> <laughs> like if I call you about comedy, you might call, you know, Donnie downstairs. Right. If I was calling you about Shrod, let's go kill someone, you might call another set of people. So you have to build the whole tree. <laughs> okay, I get it. That's amazing. Yeah. So he wrote that program. Yeah. This dude has a lot of time on his hands and real meticulous. How, like, how does he, I don't even know where you start with that. What he starts with, fucking beginner's all-purpose, symbolic instructional code, or Pascal, or fucking uh, logo? No, it's all, it's, it, it could get really, it's, it's, the, it's the hardest you could do. So this is how, this is how I met wow. him, because we were at a networking, one of these like stupid networking dinners where everybody's supposed to meet a bunch of people and talk to everybody. So he and, I, he, he, he and I were sitting next to each other and we realized like 30 years earlier, we had the kind of the same kind of, let's call it hacking experiences. And we just started comparing notes for like three straight hours. And uh, then from there, we, we started hanging out. And wow. then I convinced him to come on the podcast, which he came on anonymously. And then- You had uh, his face blurred out? Uh, no, his voice. We had an electronic thing on his voice. Jay, you must have loved that, didn't you? <laughs> you love spy stuff. And then he came on just recently on, under his real name. So, uh, where he was talking about the sports stuff. And he got a ring. Yeah, and he got a ring. Super Bowl ring. I'm, I mean, can he help the Cowboys? Because that's my team. Dolphins. Some of that I, love. I bet on the Dolphins. So, I'm going to bet on the Dolphins this year. Yeah. So I, would, I would at least bet. Probably the, here's what I would say. I don't know much about sports, but I know about betting. I'd, I would bet the line against the Dolphins is wrong. So if you bet, uh, uh, you know, in more in favor of the Dolphins than the line would suggest, then uh, uh, you would win. Okay. That's some good insider trading type of information. Yeah. I, Which is legal in gambling, I think. <laughs> is he from Philly, this guy? Yeah. Yeah, and gambling's everywhere now. Jersey just blew up with it. Yeah, yeah, Jersey and Jersey. We were just talking about this betting on esports now too. Yeah, so. I mean, uh, yeah, Chris Christie got that pushed through. Yeah, because it was kind of like, how come Nevada can do it and other states can do it and Jersey couldn't and other states? Some states they just had some states could do it and some states couldn't. It's like, what is that? Well, it, here's the here's what I think. Why can't every state and everybody just do everything? Like, why can't we all <laughs> gamble? Why can't we all take whatever drugs or medicines we want? Like everybody's saying the opiate crisis. Fine. Maybe I want to die of opiates. I don't know. Like, maybe But if you're like a college student who gets hooked on opiates from like being a, just getting injured in college game, and then I don't think that's a fair out. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. But, but look, like, look, let's say you want to be a professional football player. Right. At some point, you're going to devote your entire life to it. And, and then at some point when you're like 21 years old, someone's going to whisper to you and say, hey, if you really want to be 
one of the best in the world at this, like a pro, we're going to need to start doping you up. And here's the secret ways to do it. Right. Like that happens in every sport right now. But is that more because it makes the player better, or is that some marketing shit? Like Purdue Pharma just got uh, two hundred seventy million. Right. So that's on the opiate side, but on the steroid side, that makes the player better. On the steroid side. So, so you think they should be able to juice up with steroids? Yeah, yeah, because they're already doing it, right. but it's illegal, so they're not able to get the proper health care ah, right, around right. it. It's kind of like when abortion was illegal and people were doing it in the basement. Right. Yeah. Right. So you made it legal, less people, fewer people dying from it. You know, so so the opiates, I don't know why people are abusing it. 40,000 people die from it a year. I don't know, some some outrageous number. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe it's because there's not proper, real understanding around it. And so everybody's taking it illegally. And there's then, not proper understanding about it. And I think the, market, the companies try to market it incorrectly and have the doctors push it on people. Yeah, and then now they're ta they they ex it's just like a power thing for the government. Like, let's control exactly what drugs people should take. So, like, don't like what does the government care about? The government just does the government really care if you're dying, or the no. government just wants you to work hard? So, don't give somebody opiates because then they're gonna just not work. Right. Right. They're just gonna like, oh, I need to sleep all day. <laughs> let's give them Adderall. Then they're gonna be like, yeah, like, you know, packing boxes at FedEx, like. <laughs> I'm really happy. It's like packing 170 boxes an hour. Yeah. Give them Adderall. Oh, you're feeling a little anxious about it? Give them like Xanax and Klonopin. So like all these, but, but make sure it's regulated so they don't get too much Xanax because then they'll fall asleep again. Right. Um, I like... It's just it, things to make them work better. Yeah, it's just like so. Like the government, like the U.S. is just like one giant factory and every, it seems like every rule is about control. Like, like here's an, an odd theory. Like, like gay marriage is legal, which I what? <laughs> so which I, which I approve of. But why was gay marriage illegal ever? Well, his, statistically, gay guys have sex with more partners than straight guys, or at least more than partners than me right. <laughs> historically. Because you got two dudes in it, so dudes want to fuck. So, right. So so there ain't all, a lot of no's going around. <laughs> it's like, so, can I put that in there? Sure, you can. Right. So so so. So so why why do why, this is the stupidest theory but I think it, I think it works. Why do guys want to make a lot of money because you you have like this guy who who owned the Patriots or whatever is a billionaire. See get you get more you can pay for or you get more girls that way. So so the government always historically approved of straight marriages right uh because it makes people work harder like, right. you're gonna make more billionaires so they have to create companies and more jobs so they can attract more girls and women right that's my theory okay <laughs> so they're in on it so they want everybody so i think to every rule is about the government trying to increase control to get people to work harder yeah and be married at what i do it <laughs> well m making the, su the supply and demand yeah. of straight sex is a different supply and demand equation of gay sex. So make it harder. Like they were just against, the government was against everything gay. I think the government is just <laughs> against, of, uh, against anybody else having more fun than they are. That, although, well, then you so see if all they the, can't do it, you can't do but it. But then you see all these senators, though, like, oh, they're against gay this, gay that. And, and then they they're caught with like, a gay yeah. you know, prostitute. Yeah, they're always sneaking around. <laughs> Yeah. In a car somewhere. And every time, the more they fight against it, I go like this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure, you're against it.
Right. And sometimes they own guilt. They go like this. I feel guilty for it. So I'm gonna make everybody feel guilty for it. So, so, but they're putting their own needs before or or after the needs of control. Like, let's yeah. control as many people as possible. Yeah. So, so we should always that's, have gates that's I mean, my yeah, kind of libertarian theory. So will it loosen up? You think it's gonna change? Uh, this new generation seems like they just want to live and let live. Yeah, but and complain. Yeah, but then you look at like what are the ways the government controls people now? I mean, just think of every way, you know, uh, government controls people now. So uh, what do you think about the gun, the whole gun issue, gun control? Is that the government not controlling people, or the government trying to control people too much? Well, who has who has guns, right? It's the people who are most. If the government is pro gun. Then the people who are pro guns are pro government, right? So the government can't get overthrown, right? <laughs> so, uh, so is it protecting themselves? Is it like you? A you don't see, you don't see like, uh, you know, everybody in the Upper West Side packing <laughs> heat, nah, right. right? You just see people like in Texas or whatever. Right. So, uh, you know, people in their strollers don't have like an extra gun like running around the Upper West Side here, right? Not yet. <laughs> not yet but yeah i guess so i guess everybody who's pro-gun is pro-government if government is uh, supporting them you can't take over the government with uh hugs right exactly yeah. or or like even tasers you know you have to be close to everybody yeah didn't you just see that police shooting that uh the cop that was on the force for two months no she shot the dude like the thing she pulled out her taser but she pulled out the gun Shot him in the back of the head, or in, the, in his back. He survived. This was last May, but the trial's just coming out now, and they showed the video. Oh, my Brutal. God. Brutal. Well, I've seen with tasers videos where, like, a mentally ill person, you know, they call to somebody calls. He's a mentally ill person. a kid. He's going out of control. and uh, But he's, he's a kid, and he's just mentally ill. And then, like, eight people will go up and start tasing him until he dies. Like... Tasers, there's videos of tasers killing people. What? Yeah, so... Eight people were tasing at one time? Uh, may, maybe I'm exaggerating something, but that was the video I saw. Holy so. shit. Did he have, like, a light bulb in his mouth, like Uncle Fester that so was I lighting up? I, I don't know if this is true, but somebody told Too me old this. Too reference? <laughs> yes. Adam's family. <laughs> yeah. My kids wouldn't know the reference. But <laughs> you should have. <laughs> I know it, but, like, uh, I think somebody told me, so I'm just saying it allegedly because I don't want Taser to get upsetting. One to two people a week are like killed by Tasers. What? Yeah, you get like heart attacks. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, just, can, can, can Google back me up on this? I'll check it out. So, yeah, that's why. Uh, I used to tase people in college. Huh? I had a Taser in college that I ordered. Really? I ordered through the mail because I had a clothing uh, store too. So I had it for my clothing here. store, but we took it on campus. And, uh, you had yeah, a what kind of store? Clothing. We had a clothing store. Me and my a couple of my oh, friends. Oh, and college. so a clothing store could buy tasers, like could buy weapons. I know, <laughs> but we I had the tasers just to protect from when people come in there. We was in Baltimore City, so at any time shit can jump off. We had a gun and we had a taser in there, but we never had trouble. But I used to take the taser up to the girls' dorm. <laughs> Are you? And then we used to have a girls versus guys taser fight. All right. <laughs> they would chase us. We would chase them, and both teams had one taser. And did anyone ever die? No. There were, <laughs> no. There were I think, um, over 1,000 deaths in 2017 in, up in August alone. I mean, up until August. So that's the first eight months of 2017. So that means there's probably like 1,400 or 1,500 per year. Google. Those, those thousands of those a bunch of them. No, we all survived. We were uh, thicker. We were thinking uh, stronger kids back don't, then. Don't taste but me, bro. They hard. They um. They are powerful things, man. That so thing was like 150,000 volts. You, so you've been shot by a taser. Yes. And it hurts. Oh yes, it, it, it shocked me when I first when you first get a taser. The first thing you want to do is tase your friends 
and, and feel it yourself. So we all took turns getting tased by each other, and the shit knocked my... I fell on the ground. My boys caught me, but my leg was numb, and it felt like a knife. <laughs> this was 150,000 votes. So, 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 there, so I have to say there is a solution, and I'm going to say it, and with full disclosure, I'm invested in it. It's a company. Uh, there's a gun called the, uh, the Bolo Wrap, and what it does is I shoot it at you, a, steel, a Kevlar steel wrap comes out of the gun, wraps around you at the speed of sound, and you're wrapped. You can't get out. Get the fuck out. No, it's true. Look it and up. And it Bolo works? Rap. Yeah, it I works. I want to see the video of this. Show that the video. That sounds like some old Batman the series. Show the video. It's cool. Yeah. And so, I, so and the, 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 one of the founders of Taser just how's left it Taser come, How's it come out so this. fast, though? You'll see the thing. It's and how far does a person have to be away from you before this shit opens up? Well, you can't. Law enforcement is legally not allowed to pull out a gun, a taser, or anything unless you're within a 21 foot radius. So, within, okay. so it works within 21 feet, definitely. So show, show him the. Video so even right. point blank range, this thing will wrap around you. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you're like one foot away, even if even if you're a cop, you're not pulling out a gun, then it's a it's a fight. Right. So, right. You know, but it's like kind of you could think of this as like advanced handcuffs rather than like a gun. Wow. So he's, lo he's looking at the video. Yes. What do you, what do you see? Uh, that showed a rope going around a dude's legs. Uh, yeah, and, and it's like out. speed of sound. Yeah, they're showing it right now. I guess this is... Oh, yeah. He roped a person up on a, on a campus, on a college campus. He used it on this kid. The kid had a knife in his hand. The he's pointing the gun at him. I'm trying to see it. They'll show it. Oh, that was when he killed the kid. So they're saying they need to have this oh, weapon oh. to save him so they don't have to shoot him. Wait, wait. Do you have the video of the gun? The bowler wrap? Not that it's that important. But and this, this shooting solves... that just took place with this cop was two months uh, in and pulled the gun instead of the taser. I'm like, why do you have the taser and the gun the same color? When you make one bright orange or something, not two black things on your hip. Yeah, and also they're trained... They're trained pretty hardcore, like, because there's a lot of stuff on the belt, and right. they're trained, like, where the taser is and where the gun is. You don't put them right next to each other. Right. So that was that guy just made a mistake. Or It was a woman. That woman made a mistake. Okay, let me ask you. It was a black or white charged. person. It was a black person in the car, two white officers, man and a woman officers. And she was on, uh, on the force for two months. And then after she shot him, she was like, oh, shit, I shot him. I thought she thought it was a taser. She was looking for the thing on the taser, and it wasn't there. Wow, so what's going to happen to her? She's got, I guess she's going to jail. That's I feel, crazy. listen, it seems, it's awful. They were just pulling this dude over for not wearing a seatbelt, first of all. So how does this go that bad? Yeah, how did it go that bad? Because <laughs> he didn't want to get off the car. It was like, what? He, the, uh, the guy in the car was like, why are you pulling me over? Everybody over here don't have a seatbelt on. He was like, oh, okay, because yeah, he's a black dude. That's what he felt. And then the other cop tried to pull him out the car. They started fighting out the car. That's when she came over, got behind him, and shot him. But she, uh, as she did it, you can tell she was not planning. She thought it was her taser. Do you think they'll get her, uh, since she was, it was out, not planned, think they'll get her on, what is it called, manslaughter? But he didn't die. Oh, he didn't die. Thank the Lord he didn't die. Yeah. He got injured, but he didn't die. But are they going to get him? I think it's a felony charge they charge her with. So, so this gun, because of, this, this gun was invented around, uh, right around the time hashtag Black Lives Matter was uh, blowing up on, like, Twitter and everything. So they invented this gun to solve that 
problem. Nice. Do you so, think it's ever going to get to the police? Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at the news for the company, and again, I'm just, I'm not recommending the company. I have to legally, I'm not recommending the company. Uh, I'm not doing anything like that. But if you look at the news of the company, like every police department you can think of is going to start using it. it. Yeah, it's signing up for oh, it. Oh, that's amazing. And the guy who was with, ta started Taser or co-started Taser, was with Taser for 25 years, he just, he just became president of the company. So, oh, really? Yeah, and he said this is where it's at. It sounds like it won't kill people like Taser would. It, it can't. It can't kill anybody. Right. So Taser kills. How so, long do you think is it uh, before people start using it on their kids? <laughs> That's a great idea. That's a great use case. Running around the malls like ah, pow! <laughs> I'm gonna leave you in front of TCBY yogurt until I go shopping. That uh, I'm gonna suggest that to the company. I can't be child abuse. Yeah, because it's gonna be adult abuse. Right, it's like a stroller. <laughs> just drag them around them all <laughs> so, corralling your kids yeah you either as steve says you're either a tractor or a trailer so he's just like <laughs> exactly thank you for that was pretty good so uh, what else is going on same shit i'm going to vegas monday what are you doing in vegas shows i'll be at the real the comedy seller real thing oh yeah because the comedy seller has a place in vegas yeah yeah do that room It'll be fun. I've done it. I've done it before. It was fun. And and what do you do? Do you change your act at all? It's like a bunch of tourists I in Vegas. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm switching up. I'm working on a new hour now, anyway. So I'm gonna just take that that hour out there. But even though I'm not doing an hour on the stage there, but I'm just gonna break it up into. I'm doing a lot of shows, like twelve shows or some shit. Do you do you write material? Yeah. Or do you work it out on stage? I do both. So I saw you the other day, and you did something like, uh, you know, white people. What's up with the mass shootings? Yeah. Like and then white you, dudes, white dudes, not people. The right. women are fine. Right. So, so, but dudes is a funnier word anyway than people. Yeah. So because it's kind of like it's not throwing all the blame at them. It's like, dude. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> right, right. And so, did you did you write that and then and then part of it is you work it out on stage and part of it is you're you're sitting at home and thinking about it or yeah, or I it comes it, to you and then you write it down and then yeah, you work on it later. It came to me and I wrote like some lines down, bullet like bullet points down. And then I just want to get it to the stage. But I already had, like, some of the dialogue already. Uh, but I wanted to get it to the stage to see how it bounces off the crowd. Yeah. Because then I could maybe say something darker there or say something lighter here just to bring them back around to the – so that's, like, just the functionality of it, of that sort of stage. Do you ever write a joke thinking, this joke might not work, but if it doesn't, I have something to say that'll, that'll kill if the joke originally doesn't work? Yeah. Because Chris Chris Gethard, who I think we're talking to soon, he or no no maybe not, or maybe it wasn't it maybe it was in one of the Goldman tips, basically suggested um, try not to do that like try to make the joke originally be Fun. the be yeah, the joke yeah yeah that's yeah so, that's the, that's the best way to do it mm -hmm. but sometimes your joke or reference might be a lot for people to listen to in public mm -hmm. so some people might be taken aback because they're not used to having this conversation in public right or hearing words like this in public. So sometimes you just gotta reassure them that hey, it's all good. So so a, a secondary laugh might do that on a, a a heavier subject. Right. Like, and I've seen I, I like Anthony Jeselnik do that a lot. Like, kind of almost have a funny way of explaining the joke. Like, you know, there's a cl cliche: if you have to explain your joke, it's a bad joke. But he has a fun. It's almost like part of the joke is his funny explanation. Right. So right. and 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 it's funny that way. Because sometimes it's still meat on the bone. Yeah. So sometimes if you write it like that, like how Jessenick does that, you can get all the fucking meat off the bone and the bone marrow in it too. Sometimes a lot of people, uh, I feel like sometimes people abandon a topic or a preference or a, a, a joke uh, 
before it's time to let it go. Yeah. I used to do that a lot. I still think I do that. <laughs> I think it's always it's always meat on a bone somewhere. But you don't want to drag something to death. But you also don't want to leave too much on it because somebody else will come along and stretch it out into the joke where it should have been. Yeah, because uh, so here here was a, a, a one of the things that Chris Gethard was writing about. He said uh, premises without points are weak, and points without premises are cowardly. And so so I was trying to figure out what that meant actually. But uh, if I have a, a a premise and then a punchline. I, tr- I, I now start to think, did I really make a point? Was the punchline just funny, or did I really make a point? Right. Because if I hadn't made a point yet, there might be still humor to mine here. If somebody already laughed, and I haven't even yet made an important point, what I think is an interesting point, right. there's probably still material to mine. Yeah, sometimes that important point is just how you saw it in the first place, and that's why you did that joke. So breaking down that math of why it even was intriguing to you in the first place. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's more meat on the bone. Because it's going to show more of the perspective of what you're already doing. Yeah, like I, I, I have kind of a, uh, I kind of have a set of jokes, which is like all about how um, people make one star, write one star reviews of locations like the Eiffel Tower or Mount Rushmore. Like who would go to the Eiffel Tower and write a one star review? And then I read some of the reviews, but then I kind of move on from the joke. But I think I'm not quite getting to the point, which is that. Some people really think their opinion is important for the other seven billion people on the planet, and and so I feel like there's more to mine in this joke, which is like, who are these people actually? Right. But maybe if you have a story in your personal life where you go through, you went through something like that, where somebody thought their opinion was so needed. Right. So that I so I do that. So I so I take so I segue that joke into the one star reviews I've had on my books and and how ridiculous they are. And so that gets a laugh too, but I'm still, but there's still kind of this deeper point of who is writing. Like I've never even written a review for anything on the internet. Like who is actually writing? Taking the time to do Why that. do they think anyone cares about their opinion? Why do they want everybody to know? Don't go to the Eiffel Tower because right. <laughs> there's bad service there. Like why do they want, feel like the need to tell other people? Hey, you really need to know my opinion. Yeah. Lance Weiss had a funny line that he uh, heard the other day. Uh, he's a comedian. He um, he said he's one wants to start an app that yelps Yelp. He just oh, goes yeah. on and yelps Yelp 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 reviews. <laughs> so it's just him yelping Yelp. Oh my god, that's a great idea. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. So you attack the people who attack people. <laughs> it's like, what's so great about you, <laughs> Stacy three forty nine? Right. That's just it. They're all like anonymous. They're all like anonymous people. And they're all like, just what are they like? I I always wonder how, what are these, what's their relationships like? Like how, if this is the way they are. anonymous. Yeah. yeah, Like, how do they survive? Like, and how are they going to die? Like, are they just going to like die peacefully? No, it's no peace in those people's lives. It's just a loneliness. It's a hole. And they just want want to get out. For I think all the social media, all the things you can go on and criticize people on is for those people. And yeah. sometimes we get caught up because we want to hear some of it. I laugh at Yelp reviews. I say, who's going to take so much time? You yelping the F train? It's like, get over your life. <laughs> Niggas well, the train. How do you take it when someone reviews, like, let's say, something you do, a special you do, or a comedy act, and you, and you I don't, see I don't. I take it with a grain of salt. Even if they say something good, I go like this, all right, thank you. If they send something bad, all right, thank you. Like, what if somebody comes up to you... And you don't know them, and they say, you know, Sherrod Small, uh, I I thought your act was funny, but I have some notes for you. I wrote oh. down some notes. Oh yeah, that's that's <laughs> happened before. That's happened before. 
uh, many a time. You just hope that it's not a comic doing it to you. Unless it's somebody you respect, then you'll be like, yes, okay, great. Some people have lines for you, and you'll be like, perfect, that's a perfect line. Thank you. Yeah. But when uh, people in the audience do that, you're like, that's no, no thank you. <laughs> what if it is a comic, but the, the way they present it is de de destructive instead of constructive? So, like, so like giving you a line... Yeah. Like, so I like once told a joke to Burt Kreischer right before we went, did a podcast, uh -huh. and he, he's like, you know, I would stay in the pocket with that one, uh, and he kind of added to the joke, and I tried it, and it really worked. It was right. great. And so that was constructive. But sometimes people are destructive. Like, who came to you destructive? I, I get a lot, because people... Really? Yeah, I think sometimes people think, um, you know, so I work hard at this. I go up, like, five, six times a week, which yeah. I know is not seven times a night like you guys did, but... Uh, you know, and I watch, if I'm going up on a night, I'll watch specials and write stuff for four or five hours beforehand. But, you know, sometimes people don't like you skipping the line, if they feel you're skipping the line. So, yeah. and, and so I get a little bit of that. Rather, but you put your work in, though, so motherfuckers can, you know, you still put your work in. Yeah. Yeah. So don't let that get to you. Yeah, sometimes it's hard. I get it. I get it. They thought the same thing, even with Tony, Tony Rock. Tone got that look from people just because Chrissy was his brother. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. Chris Rock's his brother, so they'll be like, oh, he just he just getting good. But we was out here every day. It wasn't Chrissy out here with us. It was just us working every day without him, nowhere around. And that's for a decade. <laughs> yeah. So you still got to do your own work. And Tone is still running to some of that now, like in some of the black rooms or whatever. He might run into people saying, oh, why he on this tour? He, he's getting, like, they think it's like, like Chrissy's running, like picking him for other toys. Like that's not how it works. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess I was even wondering about that. Like how much, he, like when he came on the podcast, I was curious, like how much he gets that. Uh, but my guess, my, my my feeling was he gets it less now. He gets it less now because people see that he's the real deal. Yeah, I mean, his if you just YouTube Tony Rock, like his clips are so hilarious. I'm it's, telling you, he's a beast. And he. He gave me two pieces of advice, which I'm struggling to follow. Um, one is take all these important points in your life. Because I, I, and we've talked about this before, I have a hard time sometimes, like these stories I tell you about, like 9-11, for instance, yeah. or going broke, or I, I have like a billion stories like, are, that are completely insane. Um, and he, you know, like one time, and my podcast audience knows this, but one time I threw out all my belongings and just lived out of Airbnbs, and New York Times even did a whole profile of it. And he was like, how could you have not... Talk about that. Yeah, how could you have talk about that? But I don't know, like, that's like, it's not like the 50 laughs every 15 seconds when I talk about but that. But you don't got to worry about that part of it. All you got to worry about is the honesty of it. All the points where the laughs and the jokes can come will come. Just, yeah. just you being honest and talking about it is going to fucking open up a whole world of new stuff for you. I mean, Don't I think about joke, joke, joke. Yeah. You got jokes. <laughs> Now think about just a story. Just well, get on stage one time and just tell a story. Well, it's funny because last night uh, I did, I was supposed to do just like 20 minutes. I ended up just like doing an hour because <laughs> there, <was> there was only like, a, the, the audience was really small. And I realized if the audience is really small, the comedians before me, they were going on stage and they were doing their act. And right. you could tell they're doing an act, and which I think nobody, nobody wants this. It's like you said. Adults don't want to see other adults trying Try. stuff. Yes. So, so you have to. So I, I just was in front of you. Right. So I didn't go on the stage, and I just completely riffed and 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 played with the audience, and it was so much more fun. It was like the funnest time I had ever had, and I just kept going, uh, like for for about forty five minutes to an hour, and right. uh, 
uh, maybe I should just try something like that with this. That's exactly what you need to do. <laughs> but but then I'm not writing. Like I feel like you kind of have to write every day. Like I have to write this stuff down. And I, but you can write. But you don't have to. You don't have to be a slave to the pen. Yeah. It's still got to come out of your mouth. People yeah. ain't reading what you fucking write. What you're saying. They listening to it. Yeah. So you can you can say you can get a whole paragraph of words in with one sigh on a microphone. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So don't think about just the joke, 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 joke. They want to hear you just explaining some shit. Just like how you told me that story about 9-11. That was a great, it already had funny parts in it. You have to make up the funny parts. It's there. All right, here's, here's I'll, I'll, just to try, here's another 9-11 one. Okay. So before I bought that, so I made a lot of money. I sold a company in 1998. And then 1999, I bought this apartment. And it was, again, two blocks from the World Trade Center. And I said to the... I, the real estate agent was like, look, it's right next to the World Trade Center. Manhattan's an island. Real estate prices are only going to go up. And I and this is 1999. And I said to her, Nancy, what if a, a, a plane hits the World Trade Center? And she's like, oh, James, you just you can't live your life that way. <laughs> See, that's hilarious. So but is that like is that like a joke? I don't know. That would kill on stage. Just that ex explanation right there. You can't live like your life that way. That's fucking hilarious. And then, and then, but then, okay, how would you extend that? Because I feel like there's something else. Like, maybe I should have lived my life that way. Or maybe, I don't know. I don't know what the next... Uh... You may have to talk it out, work it out. But, yeah, that's, that's the opening, though. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's the fucking opening. So now, how do you live in a life where you like this? I had these concerns. So people go like this. That's never going to happen. And then it happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, what if you're always right, but but it's just paranoid. You're, right. <laughs> you're always super paranoid, but you're always right. How can yeah. you live your life? You live a miserable life, and yet if you follow everyone else's advice, you get bombed by terrorists. Right. It should be like two years ago, he's like, Trump's going to win. Yeah. Like, There's no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting to bring it up to the present. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so Tony Rock basically said – Pick five things, then write five bullet points under those things, and then come up with a punchline for each bullet point. Yes. That was his advice. That was advice number one. Advice number two was pick someone else, write their act. So he was, and this was after the podcast, he said, uh, like, I've written an entire hour for Eddie Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, that's, that's how because I got it. sometimes it's easier to get out of your own head and your own, to write a jokes for other people. Yeah. Sometimes you just watch somebody be like this, oh, I got a line for him. But when you're sitting by yourself, you're like this, I can't think of a line. Cause you just in your own way. You gotta get out of your own way. Yeah, and then and then I've gotten a lot of different advice from you, and and the main one is always address what the audience is thinking. Yeah. And so some so like for instance, if there's a small audience, that's different than a big audience. If they're unhappy about something, you gotta you just always have to call it out. You have to call it out. Because like I guess that brings the power back to you. And yes, because they wanna they wanna know you in charge. You driving the bus. They in the back, they watching how you turn, but you driving a bus. So just like you going on stage and having a conversation with that smaller crowd, but these other comics got on stage and was just doing their bits. It's like you not you look oblivious right. to what's in front of you, and that's never funny. Right. So so, but then it, it like the entire hour was just one big riff, you know. Yeah. But then I went home and made jokes out of the riffs because then you saw where people laugh and where they didn't laugh. Yeah. But yeah. is is. You but know, when you do the longer sets, 45 minutes, hour, it's more stories like that. It's not this joke, 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 joke. It's more stretching out your wings, stretching out your legs, relaxing and having a conversation with the audience with a whole bunch of funny in it. But it's a conversation. So here's, 
Here's the 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 final question because Jay just sent, flashed me the the rap signal, which means that uh, Race Wars is about to start, which is your podcast. That's right. Uh, yeah. How you've been doing comedy like twenty years, yeah. whatever. And what what do you what do you want? What do you want? I'm always curious. Like, what do you want to have happen? <laughs> Nothing. I just want to be left alone to tell you the truth. <laughs> as long as people, I want to just do. I just want to keep doing comedy. I want to keep producing TV shows and you're producing TV. TV shows. Yes. Okay. And I want to keep uh, just touring and just doing live comedy. That's all I want to do. And be left alone. <laughs> that sounds like a good a good dream. It's One a- of these days I'll be left alone too. <laughs> I wonder if I'll be happy with that. I just want to I- be able to do my stuff in my own, you know what I'm saying? Have my own crowd and do my own stuff in my own corner. All right, are you gonna are you gonna load up uh, your your Amazon special? Yes. Your your yes. your hour. I'm taping the last two weeks in uh, April. That's why I'm gonna tape them at uh, Black Pussycat and put those up. Okay, I'm gonna go see that. Last yeah. two weeks of April. Yes. All right, Jay will know. Yeah, Jay will know. Jay's uh, we taping something this week, uh, Friday. Where? We got a new uh, like kind of best week ever kind of style thing that we're doing like the week wrap up thing that we're gonna tape in here. In here in yeah. Santa New York. Digital. Yeah, it's gonna be quick. It's gonna be like a five ten minute tape every right. week. We're having dinner with my my Philadelphia Eagles friend. Uh-huh. Maybe we'll bring him by. You'll uh, you'll meet him. Uh, yes, I want to see that ring too. I'll tell. I'll see if you can bring it. I don't I know. He's gonna, I, I think he's a little nervous about like wearing it. He's like a small guy. He's not gonna. And the ring's huge. But uh, <laughs> all right. Well, Sharad, thanks for coming on. Will you come on again? This is fun. Just uh, wrapping. So excellent. Always.